Well, what is happening to America? I mean, seriously, what in the world is going on? Let me ask you this question. Why are we teaching an entire generation a false narrative of, it seems like everything. We're, we're teaching a false narrative of biology, a, a false narrative of American history, a, a false narrative of individual and family responsibility. Many are even teaching a false narrative about the Bible's true account of history. The world today believes so many lies. So what in the world is going on? If you get people into fear, they will panic and they'll trade their freedom for security. A drug dealer takes over a neighborhood two ways. He can come in with guns, get people into fear, or the drug dealer so nice, he's giving away free drugs till you get hooked. Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. If you're new to the Creation Today Show, I'm your host, Eric Hovind, and you are going to love today's conversation, especially if you already see that America's Christian heritage is being systematically erased. How, why, and what do we do about it? Well, that is what my guest today travels the globe to talk about in churches, on college campuses, radio and television stations. He is nationally known as a speaker, a best-selling author of 20, I think, seven books. He's the president of AmeriSearch, Inc., a publishing company dedicated to researching America's noble heritage. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome William Federer. Bill, welcome to the Creation Today Show, sir. Hey, Eric. Great to be with you. Uh, I, I have so enjoyed I've had the privilege of hearing you. I've, I've, we've gotten to speak at a couple different conferences together, and you get to be the keynote because you're thinking amazing. And I'm always amazed at your ability to communicate powerful, complex truths in, in such an effective way to the audience. You got to give me some background on, on how you got into this and, uh, and I don't know, maybe why you're so effective at what you do. <laughs> Well, you're kind. And um, my father was an attorney historian, so we grew up with history in the library in the house. And every vacation, we'd go on a, a, a French fort, Spanish fort, Civil War battlefield, Kit Carson, whatever. And um, But when I really became a Christian as an adult, it was like turning the corner on a cornfield, and you see the rows line up. And all of a sudden, history made sense. And there's different philosophies of history. There's the animist view of history where it's a circle of life. Everything just keeps repeating itself. There's the Marxist view of history that tries to interpret it all as a class struggle. Uh, there's an Islamic view of history that uh, you can actually uh, smash the archaeological artifacts if it doesn't fit along with the narrative of uh, spreading world Islam. But there's the uh, Nietzsche, the God is dead. There's the um, uh, atheistic view of history. And it is a pointless, uh, random collection of dates and numbers. And that's the way they've been teaching it in schools. And that's why it's boring. But when you switch from the uh, the confused version to the providential version, uh, Judeo-Christian history is, is linear. 
There's a beginning point and an ending point. Creation, judgment, prophecies made, prophecies fulfilled, and every event happens along this timeline. And so with that, it makes sense. And um, that's uh, what I, I was teaching some classes and saw some quotes about what some famous people said about the Bible. And then I would go to the university libraries and read through all the colonial charters, state constitution, messages and papers of the president, Supreme Court decisions. And I would compile the references to God, religion, Christianity, uh, published a book in 94. It uh, sold a half a million copies, focused on the family, sold lots of copies. And, and so that sort of opened the door and eventually became a, a career. And so uh, anyway, uh, just great to be with you. I am. I remember just scheduling this with you and, and, and scheduling through your wife. I told her, I said, hey, I just want to say thank you guys for the sacrifices that you make. We know as a ministry what that's like. And she said, we don't know what else we would do. Like there isn't a higher calling. And just to hear that even from your spouse go, wow. And she's an author too. I mean, to, to have her side by side with you guys together, helping educate people, showing the providence of what's going on. I just... I love it. You guys, you guys truly are an inspiration. So thank you. Well, thank um, you. Well, I want to throw in one quote. Arthur Schlesinger Jr. was a Pulitzer Prize winning historian. And the quote is, history is to the nation what memory is to the individual. So if you've ever met an individual who has lost their memory, maybe they have Alzheimer's. My mother-in-law had Alzheimer's. It's really sad. Anybody can take anything away from them. We sort of have national Alzheimer's. Here we are, the freest country that the planet has ever seen with more individual opportunity and liberty. And we forgot who we are. And we forgot how we got here. And we're just sitting there letting our freedoms be taken away. And so sometimes when I share history stories, it's almost like you see the little flicker in the Alzheimer patient's eye. And they're like, that's who we are. That's who you are. It's like, oh, it's coming back to me now. So um, anyway. Well, out of all your books, I am curious which one. Like, I, so I, you, it's is it tw still twenty seven? Are, are, are you are you? Oh, over I think I'm up yet? to thirty now. With, I knew with it. 20. I was like, I'm going to be short a couple. <laughs> oh man. Um, okay, so I I would like to discuss with you your book on socialism because I haven't read all thirty of your books, uh, but wow, talk about uh, exactly what you're speaking on when it comes to socialism. That's where a lot of people want to take America. It's obviously. It's obvious that that's what's going on, but can can we open this can of worms and and get it from from a Judeo-Christian perspective? What in America is happening, and what do we do about it? And maybe at some point we get into what's going on in the world and what do we do about it. But can you just kick us off with what in the what in America is happening? Right. Well, uh, socialism is counterfeit Christianity, and the differences between the word voluntary and involuntary. Right. The early believers voluntarily sold their property, laid at the feet of the church. They didn't have the Roman government take away their property and lay at the feet of Pilate. And when the children of Israel went into the promised land, every family was given property. If you own property, you can accumulate stuff. The Bible called that being blessed. You can give away some of your stuff. The Bible called that charity. Karl Marx said socialism can be summed up in one sentence, abolition of private property. So if you don't own anything, how can you be charitable? How can you give away what you don't have? Um, and so uh, what are you going to break the law and steal and now you're a thief? No, God entrusts you with stuff and then gives you opportunities to show on the outside the love of God that's on the inside. Interestingly, Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, said the same thing as Karl Marx. He said, by 2030, you will own nothing, but you'll be happy. It's like, okay, how are we going to own nothing? Well, <laughs> they're going to take it away. And so uh, I've 
spent several years researching every century of recorded human history from Nimrod, Pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar, and the most common form of government's kings. Uh, power, it's like, it's a gang structure. And it's hierarchical. If you're friends with the king, you're more equal. Not friends with the king, you're less equal. Enemy of the king, you're dead. It's called treason, or you're a slave. And so democracies and republics are attempts to take the power of the king, give it to the people. But if the king wants the power back, does he just ask for it? Well, people aren't in a hurry to give it up. So there's methods. There's two main methods to take power from people. One is fear and the other is free stuff. And I get into that in the book. Fear and free stuff. And you walk through the actual, how they are doing this on a national scale and how they are actually getting, can, can you walk people through real quick how, how it used to be to control the body, you, you do a much better job of going through that. You know how the, to control the body. Okay, well, I can't control them, so I kill them, and I only have left the people that will agree with me. And then how do I do the mind manipulation and all that? Like, so how have they successfully taken us to, taken us to where we are at today? Because most of you watching right now, you, you would say, I, I dare say, most of you watching right now would say, you never would have guessed we would be, just 10 years ago, five years ago, you never would have guessed America would be where it's at today. And it seems like it's moving really, really fast. So take me down that road, Bill, of, of how we got here and what they've done to get us here. Well, the, uh, the subtitle of the book, um, it's Socialism, the Real History from Plato to the Present. Why Plato? Plato's the first one that talked about everybody owning everything in common. And he actually refers back to Atlantis, this legendary civilization uh, that was on an island and would have it would have existed 800 years before uh, Plato if, if it did. And he was convinced it was. And it was an island that, that blew up and sank in the ocean. Um, and there is an island in the ocean of Mediterranean. It's called Santorini. It's what's left of a volcano. And man, when it blew, it would have sent a tsunami all through the Mediterranean wiping out civilizations. Anyway, Atlantis was the perfect structured society. And Plato keeps referring back to this. And Plato considers democracy an unstructured society. And he says, at first it's charming, and then it gets uh, where they're tolerating each other, fine. Tolerating people that are a little bit off, fine. Then they tolerate people that are a lot off, and then they tolerate people that are lawless. And it turns into chaos. And then they all say, we want somebody to restore order, and along comes a uh, philosopher king. And at first he's all smiles, promising everything to everybody. And then he begins to consolidate power. They cast it in his teeth. Uh, he has a choice, give up the power or get rid of the people confronting him. And that's what he does. And he ends up becoming a dictator. And so uh, the idea is that he's the head of gold and he, his administrators are the arms and chest of silver. And they're the ruling class and everybody else is the abdomen of iron and bronze and they're the ruled class. So socialism, back to Plato, is a two-tiered system of a deep state ruling class giving out favors to their friends and then everybody else that has to pay the taxes. And so uh, it, it sounds nice, everybody owning everything in common, but when you think it through, somebody has to be in the government handing out the common stuff. And they're always going to be tempted to want to funnel a little extra to their family and friends on the side and hold back from someone they don't like. And before you know it, it gets discretionary. And the saying is, he who holds the purse strings has the power. So every attempt at everybody owning everything equally always ends up with a deep state bureaucracy passing out favors to their friends with the most corrupt guy at the top. 
So, so that's the the point I bring out in the book. But I, I also go through the, as as you uh, asked how to implement it, and it's two ways: fear and free stuff. So, if uh, the norm is kings and democracies and republics are attempts to take the power of the king, give it to the people. What what if the king wants the power back? Does he just ask for it? Hi, I want to uh, uh, rule your life. So, oh, okay, here, here you go. No, there's people aren't in a hurry to give up that. So there's two methods. If you get people into fear, they will panic and they'll trade their freedom for security. So part of instituting socialism is you have to get entire populations into fear. And then the other is free stuff. Uh, and so I liken it to a drug dealer takes over a neighborhood two ways. He can come in with guns, get people into fear, or the drug dealer so nice, he's giving away free drugs till you get hooked then you want more free drugs, you're going to incrementally give up your freedom to keep it coming. It's like a hunter catches animals with guns or bait is sort of a front door, back door approach. Now, when they when you're trying to implement this and you're giving away free stuff, so with socialism, how has this gone with, with the mindset of people? What's it been like to, to try to uh, brainwash? How, how have they... How have they gotten so good at brainwashing people to accept this and to... And to to literally take away America's history through this brainwashing. Well, it's interesting in the book, I go through biblical concepts overlying political concepts. So to get people into fear, you have to have discord. You have to have something that feels uh, unsettled. There's no security. And so the name devil, Diabolos, it means dis uh, discord, means to divide. And so imagine being in heaven and somebody sows discord. Well, it happened. Lucifer, he got a third of the angels to rebel. And then he sows discord in the garden with Adam, Blame, and Eve, and Cain, Kill, and Abel. And then there's an interesting story. He sows discord during the 400-year period before you get a King Saul. You almost got a king. And you had Gideon, and he defeated 100,000 Midianites. So there's no threat to Israel. But he has an illegitimate son, named Abimelech, and he wants power. So he goes to the town of Shechem, and he sows discord. He actually does critical race theory, <laughs> identity wow. race politics. He says, is it better for you that the sons of Gideon reign over you? Remember also that I am your flesh and your bone. And the people say, oh, we got to vote for Abimelech because he is our brother. And then they go to the temple this, the, of Balbarith, the city treasury, and they take money to hire protesters, rioters like Antifa, BLM. And they hire vain and worthless persons, which follow Abimelech. And what do they do? They commit violence. They sow discord and they kill all the sons of Gideon. And then the Menashech made Abimelech king. So you take a country that's completely at peace and you go in and you sow division. It's sort of like introducing an autoimmune disease into the body politic. What's an autoimmune disease? It's where your own immune system gets weaponized and starts attacking your own organs. you got a war going on inside of you. And so this process of divide and conquer, we can see over and over again, uh, Machiavelli and Hegel, if you want, if I can share a few more of those examples. But yeah, please, because I'm, I'm seeing this and, the, and, and even the way you describe it and add, adding the biblical context to it. I, I grew up learning history as dates that didn't matter to me. When I watch you on YouTube, when I, especially your Instagram reels, by the way, if you guys have not seen or you're not subscribed on Instagram, Bill, you guys are knocking out of the park on your, uh, on your, on your Instagram reels. But American Minute, 
Uh, how many different websites do you have? I know you got AmericanMinute.com, and you guys have several. And Instagram well, that's names. the main one. And then okay. there's the the Instagram and and some of the other channels where we post just, stuff. Just do a search for William Federer on Instagram or on YouTube, and you will find yourself not only falling in with history, but actually understanding history. So we've got socialism that's taking over America. Uh, I'm still, you, you talk about these things that repeat themselves. Yes, so we see this happening. We see the being sown. We see a critical race theory and really just chaos theory, creating chaos here in America. I, I have to let my YouTube and Facebook go here in about seven or eight minutes. Can we, can we go ahead and preview what in the world do we do about this? Like, can you give me a little 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 preview on that before uh, I let them go? Well, the, the first thing is is educating because it loses its power over you when you understand the tactics. It's sort of like the Wizard of Oz movie, and there's this big Oz with fire, and then they pull little Toto dog pulls the curtain back, and it's an old man, and all of a sudden you're no longer afraid. And so when you give this history, that's the first step. I did want to mention Machiavelli and Hegel. So 500 years ago, Italy was a bunch of city-states, Venice, Genoa, Naples, Florence, Siena, and they always fought. And Machiavelli thought if one prince could control all of Italy, it would stop the infighting. So he writes a book called The Prince, where he advocates the ends justifies the means. The end of one prince controlling all of Italy is such a good end because it'll stop the infighting. Any means necessary to get there is justified. Lie, cheat, steal. So if a prince conquers a city in his quest to conquer all of Italy, and the city does not want to be conquered, they would hate him. But if this prince pays criminals, like Abimelech did, to smash windows and set things on fire, then the people will cry out for help. And the prince will come in, get rid of the very criminals he bribed to create the crisis. Nobody will know the better for it, and everyone will praise the prince as a hero. So it's good marketing. You create the need and fill it. You go around the back of the house and set it on fire. Then you go around the front of the house and sell them a fire extinguisher. And they'll pay anything for it and even thank you for being there. So it's called Machiavellianism, where you create or capitalize on a crisis to consolidate control. And um, Rahm Emanuel said it more uh, recently of never let a good crisis go to waste, right? <laughs> you and I see a crisis. Our response is how can we help people? They see a crisis their response, how can we usurp power? And so that was in the 1500s. Now let's go to the 1800s. Germany was a bunch of kingdoms, Saxony, Bavaria, Prussia. And uh, Hegel was the philosopher that said, hey, how do you unify Germany? And he took Machiavelli and made it into a nice, neat triangle. One corner is a, of the triangle is a thesis. The opposite corner is an antithesis. And top corner is a synthesis. It sounds complicated, but it's not. So Hegel's student was Karl Marx. Karl Marx says, okay, you start off with the first corner of the triangle, the thesis, that's the status quo. That's the way things have been for a long time. You have to create an antithesis. In other words, you have to create a problem that's really bad that gets everybody to panic and fear, and then they'll surrender their freedoms to settle for an answer that's just half as bad. And then that becomes the new thesis starting point. You create another crisis that's real bad and everybody panics and fear and surrenders some more of their freedom to, to settle for the synthesis, that top part of the triangle that's just half as bad. And then they create another crisis that's real bad and, and they keep doing this over and over again. And each time they settle, you give up a little individual freedom to the state. And so that's what we're seeing happen, not just on a national scale, but on a global scale. There are 
people that want to have a global government. And to do that, they have to create crises after crises after crises, and everybody panics and gives up more of their freedom each time. So go through some of these crises, because it, it is interesting. They, we just, we're doing that. Some of us are looking around America and going, what in the world? And, and it, it's not going to be long. I don't have any cash on me. It's not going to be long before, I, I think we are, the public at large is voluntarily giving up things that we, we never would have given up for our individual rights and freedoms here in America under the guise of, oh, this is going to be beneficial, this is going to be helpful. So can you walk us through some of what you've seen recently and, and maybe some of what you think might come? Right. So you see, um, so Nimrod Tower of Babel, um, that was the first attempt at a one world government. So the population of the world was over in Mesopotamia and he wanted to control it. And Josephus, the Jewish commentator, said Nimrod wanted to build the tower so high that if God destroyed the world again with a flood, he could survive on top. So it was defined against God. And he made everyone in town bake bricks and bring them or he would kill them. And so God confuses the languages and the people scatter into language groups that turn into nations. Nations were God's invention to prevent a one world government. and But every generation, you have somebody that wants to conquer other nations. And if they hadn't died, they'd have been happy to be the Antichrist. And whether it was, you know, uh, Gilgamesh or Sargon of Acadia or, or the Pharaohs or the kings of Assyria, Neo-Assyria and Babylon and, and uh, Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar or Genghis Khan or Attila the Hun, any one of them um, would have been happy to rule the world. Uh, and, you know, they all rule through fear. And, and then the devil offers all these kingdoms to Jesus in a moment of time. They've been delivered to me. I can give them to whoever I was. Like, when did you get them? When Adam sinned, right? Adam was in charge of the garden. He named everything. Naming means you have authority over. But the Bible says, to whomever you yield your members, servants to obey, to him you are a servant. The moment Adam obeyed Satan, he was posturing himself as the one taking the orders and the devil usurped power as the one giving them. And so um, Jesus talked to his disciples. He says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, but it shall not be so among you. He that is greatest among you, let him be as he that doth serve. I am among you as he that doth serve. So we're talking kingdoms, and we're talking all the kingdoms of the world are top-down ruled by fear. And Jesus is saying, no, my kingdom is bottom-up ruled by love and serving. And so um, anyway, so these kingdoms keep getting bigger. The king of England was the biggest, and the America's founders broke away and flipped it and, called, and made the people the king. Well, we see after every crisis, um, we see the people surrendering their freedoms. So one crisis is a healthcare crisis. Um, and everyone knows that you had this uh, thing created in Wuhan, you know, and, and then you have a financial crisis. And there are people like Klaus Schwab and George Soros and, um, and Larry Fink with BlackRock. Um, BlackRock State Street Vanguard are the two largest asset management companies in the world. They now control trillions of dollars and it's people's retirements. And most people might own a couple of shares of stock, but they're not going to go to a stockholder meeting. So they check the proxy box. So these asset management companies show up at the Exxon and all these corporations with thousands of proxy votes. And they basically dictate you're going to be pushing diversity in the LGBT and you're going to be pushing pro-China, and, and they are pushing this DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and the ESG, uh, and, and, and basically it's a social credit score. And they're 
where it's not just a credit check to get a loan. They're going to check how woke you are. And these people, uh, they want to have a global financial crisis. Uh, you say they do? Yeah, because then the, the currency won't be worth anything and everyone will go to the government and say, help. And the government will say, we're going to give you the CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. We'll get the economy going again, but we're going to track everybody. And then you're going to lose your freedom. And and um, But, you know, Jesus says wheat and tares grow together till the harvest. So uh, we know that you're going to have these uh, two opposing forces. God chose for us to be alive right now. And it's our job to stand up and to be a voice for uh, his kingdom at this time. So we still need to to take on that servant mentality because honestly, there, there's there's part of me and I'm, I'm wondering, is this, is this a fleshly thing going, how do I survive this crisis? How do I position myself in the right way to, to, to be able to, to be the best and to, to survive something that's coming? And, and at the same time, I go, man, our, our, our kingdom's not of this world, Jesus says. It's not about laying up treasures on earth. It's about laying up treasures in heaven. So I'm trying to trying to myself go, how do I be wise concerning the times and at the same time not give up what God has called me to do uh, to, to be who God wants me to be? So any advice on that? Yeah, so this is an exciting time to be alive. That what are the stories we like best in the Bible? It's where God's people are in hopeless, really bad situations. And God raises up little nobodies who are small in their own eyes, but big in faith and courage to turn things around. I mean, Pharaoh had the most powerful military in the world for like 2,000 years. And Moses was completely unarmed. And yet he stood up there in courage and God delivered him. Uh, David against this giant Goliath, Gideon against 100,000 Midianites. Uh, what are the stories we like? It looks, it looks hopeless. And then God, I mean, even the Gideon story, uh, he gets 30,000 against 100,000. And God said, mm, too many. Tell everyone that's scared to go home. Now he's down to 10,000. And God says, mm, still too many. Have them go drink from a creek, whittles it to 300. In other words, God made the odds look even worse. So the goal from God's point of view is to have people turn to him. And he has plan A and plan B. Plan A is he blesses us. We turn to him out of gratefulness. If that doesn't work, there's plan B. He lets things get a little tough and we turn to him out of desperation. So the goal is to have us turn to him. And most people, uh, unfortunately, we turn to the Lord more when things are not going too good. And so a nation is just a bunch of individuals and the world is a whole, whole lot of individuals. And so if our bless, if his blessings aren't turning us to him, then it's plan B. But the goal is to have us turn to him. And so the quicker we do that, the better off we are. Can you see why I love learning from William Federer? He is such a great communicator, guys. Um, I got to let social media go right now and our television audience go. I loved your book, Socialism. I loved your talks on socialism. What would you recommend somebody start with? Give, give me both a written resource and, and all your stuff is, is available on your website there. So AmericanMinute.com. Uh, but give me a book that you would recommend that people start with and then give me uh, like a, maybe a video series or something that you would want people to, to start with to learn this. Yeah, we actually took 25 of my lectures on socialism and put them on a flash drive. And yes. so you oh, I should have brought that in thing, here. I got that. In, and and, uh, and there are 700 club interviews. Pat Robertson, he was a great friend. He had me on two days in a row talking on socialism. I was on Eric Metaxas. And then uh, Jack Hibbs had me at his amazing church at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills with like 14,000 members. Um, but they're all on this flash drive. 
And um, and it's it's uh, basically the study of human nature, and you see it being manipulated, and um, and so uh, there's more there, and, and I guess we don't have time before the the, the half hour break here. But again, AmericanMinute.com and, and the book on socialism with the flash drive, I'd recommend. Okay, I was going to say that flash drive. There are so many talks on there. Uh, many of you need to you need to get this and you need to start planning for January the first week of January getting some friends over to your house and watching ses a session the next week week number two of January watch another session you can literally take this flash drive plug it in broadcast it on your television and right there have a small group in your home teaching this information it is it, it really is foundational and incredibly God has been preparing Bill for decades and equipped him to teach this information to you. Uh, please jump on there, grab the book, grab the flash drive, and then don't only consume it for yourself. Invite your friends over. My wife, Bill, my wife and I were just talking the other day about getting together and watching something uh, with friends. What's the next thing we're going to watch? And uh, I had forgotten that I'd gotten your flash drive until you just mentioned it, that it's sitting there on my desk. And I'm like, Duh, I got a ton of stuff right there. So that's exactly exactly what we're going to do. Um, I, Facebook and YouTube, I've got to let you guys go. Please get on AmericanMinute.com. Follow Bill on his social media, on Instagram, on YouTube, on uh, Facebook, uh, and, and, and get these resources. I'm telling you, you will be incredibly equipped, and it really will put history and America, right in perspective, right in line with God's word, and you'll understand the progression that is taking place. Those that don't study history are what, Bill? Uh, condemned to repeat it. And uh, now, if we're gonna, somebody's watching, they want to continue to watch. How do they keep watching you? Well, thank, thank you. Good trans. I you can come over to creationtoday.org and catch the rest of this. Uh, but if you can't do that and get a hold of Bill's stuff, so AmericanMinute.com. If you want to continue watching, come on over to creationtoday.org and we'll continue this conversation together. Uh, look forward to next week, by the way, guys. Uh, I, I love the conversations uh, that we get to have every week here. And our whole goal is to disciple people one, literally one week at a time and one person at a time. And our, our goal is to reach the whole world. Next week is almost a continuation. Bill, it's actually with some friends of yours, with David and Tim Barton. My wife Tanya and I got to go do one of those kind of private behind the scenes tours of Washington, D.C. with David and Tim. And I said, hey, guys, am I allowed to bring my phone and just film some of this stuff? They said, absolutely. And so I'm, I'm blessed beyond measure to present that to you guys next week. Undeniable, America's Christian heritage as we go into the Capitol building and we show you things that the, the schools are not teaching today. You're really, really going to enjoy that. So I look forward to seeing you guys next week. If you want to see the rest of this program, come on over to creationtoday.org. 